everybody. Jamie Retzke on the lighter side of baseball. And as you know, uh, we had John Wathen as a guest a couple of weeks ago. Time flies. It was probably a month ago, and uh, we are lucky enough to have John Wathen back again. As I indicated, he managed the Omaha Royals, my favorite part of his resume. But, man, his resume goes on for so long again that it would take the whole show to go over. So, John, we're going to cut to the chase. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm awful busy, you know, playing golf and eating and working out, and that's about my life right now. <laughs> well, I got two of those three. I'm hitting 667, playing golf and eating. I don't know about that working out stuff. Well, I'm playing for the tie. I gain five pounds, I lose five. I gain five, I lose five. Just play for the tie. Oh, my God. I know. I had a, uh, a birthday, and on my birthday, I equate that with eating as much as I can and then trying not to eat again for – you know, the next week, which generally lasts until the next meal. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, turn 70, feeling a little old, man. Yeah, yeah, although it's, uh, they say it's, you're only as old as you feel or think. Yeah. Uh, or and some, some days you feel like you're 50, and some days you feel like you're 80, even though we're 70. <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty young. That's good. And yeah. And we, we sound like we still can articulate a couple thoughts. And speaking of that, uh, Major League Baseball came out with their proposal to start the season in, uh, in July. What are you hearing at your end on that? Well, mostly just what I read. We do have some uh, Zoom uh, internet telecasts or web webinars, I guess they call them, uh, occasionally to find out any in inside info. But I really don't know any more than what we all see on the internet or internet or read in the paper. Um, the big stumbling block now, I think, between ownership and the players is going to be the pay because they're going to go to 82 games, it sounds like, and the players are agreeable with that. Obviously, a lot of logistics involved, too, keeping the players safe. But, you know, they agreed in March to be paid uh, however many games are to be played. They would be paid that amount of money uh, prorated per game. And now it sounds like the owners are trying to do some revenue sharing, depending on how many people come to the ballpark, because 40%, they say, of their income is from people at the ballpark buying tickets. So now they want a revenue sharing thing, which would be a real big deficit to what the players think they should deserve or, and get. So I don't know how that's going to work out. I think that's going to be a big stumbling block during these negotiations. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I've heard the same thing, and, and I heard that way before they started up with this, you know, last proposal. Um, and I think the owners uh, and the players typically, um, you know, have all these side arguments that they get resolved, and then the money gets discussed and discussed, and typically the, uh, the owners feel like they cave and the players feel like they cave, and, and then they end up with some solution. I think the, the owners are trying to go for a 50-50 split of the revenue and the players are going, just pay me my pro rata salary. And I think right. that's, the, that's where the battle lines are right now from what, from what I hear. Let's just hope it doesn't uh, revert back to 94 when there was a strike and no World Series because of money. So Yeah, you know, I'm sure you hear it more than I do, but I, there are a lot of people that I run into that say, you know, I haven't been back to a baseball game since 94 and it's spread over into 95. I'm sure you run into people like that too. Yeah, yeah. A lot have come back um, because it's such a great game and, and hard to not watch it. 
but there's always that possibility you're going to lose some people because of, of the greed of either ownership or the players and how much they want. And it seems to me like both sides step on their feet all the time. And, you know, they've had uh, pretty much friendly labor negotiations really since that 94, 95 mm -hmm. stoppage. And it just seemed to me that they're heading towards a problem with the next collective bargaining agreement. Uh, you know, you kept hearing after last year's, the year before, whatever season when the free agents weren't being signed and guys were moaning and groaning. Now there's still some dispute about, you know, they're not getting paid their, their fair share. So um, I think. Well, this is, this is going to be a, a worse problem than 94 because of the pandemic, because so many people out of a job and not making any money aren't able to pay their bills. And when you start talking about millions on the table and what you can get or what you can't get, it, it really turns off a lot of people. Yeah, it does. I, I was watching Sports Center, I guess, this morning, and they had a little ribbon deal at the bottom saying that Governor Pritzker in Illinois was criticizing the players for talking about um, putting their, you know, health on the line, and but they wanted their uh, $4.4 million average salary. And then they pointed out that Pritzker's net worth was $3.4 billion. So, uh, I think that kind of is the basic battle line that you're talking about when the owners and players start talking. They're all making a lot of money, and uh, don't don't kill the golden goose. Yeah, it's, it's hard to uh, hard to feel bad for players or ownership when you're struggling to feed your family. Yeah, and then you throw in the health deal. Here's again, I'm in the minority, and a season ticket holder with the Cubs and the Royals. I would rather not see any baseball until they could, they have a vaccine or a therapy that would assure the players and the public that they could safely play and safely go to the games. But I know most people are going, oh, you know, we, we just want to, we just want to be entertained. And uh, that seems to be the majority view of, of people. Yeah. I think people will, uh, We'll watch it diligently on TV or listen to it on the radio. Um, there's a lot missing when you don't have fans in the stands, obviously. But I think some baseball is better than no baseball, probably. You know, that's what everybody says. And I have no idea, being a baseball nut, I have no idea why I have taken the position I've taken. And I'll watch. Have you watched Korean baseball? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen, seen a couple of highlights, but uh, – I have no interest there, not knowing any of the players, really. Uh, well, they, they all, they, Matt Williams is a manager of one of the teams, interestingly. They have three foreign players on each team as a max. And I've watched a couple innings, and even though you don't know who they are, uh, the ESPN broadcasters are, are uh, doing play-by-play -play from their homes and they have figured out a way to pipe in, you know, crowd murmur. And <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the crowd noise, but crowd, crowd murmur. Murmur. Yeah, because there's, there's no, you know, cheering if a guy gets a triple because it's just that constant, you know, I don't know if it's from Wrigley Field where there's more murmur than the K. But uh, I'll tell you what, it's the dumbest thing I've ever watched. And maybe, like you said, you don't know the players, but they have cheerleaders on the dugout with masks cheering for no fans. I mean, 
Yeah, uh, a couple of things I noticed just watching a couple of highlights were that everybody in the stands with masks on and even the first base coach with a mask on. So uh, I don't know how you can do social distancing in baseball when the first baseman is holding the runner on and the umpire is breathing down his neck. That, or, you, you know, you have a walkie-talkie to take out the pitcher or, uh, yeah, there's a pickoff play at first or at second or, you know, the catcher by definition isn't going to be – Socially distancing. So as uh, as we said before, I I hope we're we're closer than people think to to a vaccine because it's a scary scary deal. And I, I would imagine that the players are gonna you know follow the Korean lead and end up playing. I mean that's I think where we're going, and they'll get the money worked out. And the owners. I hope. Yeah, I hope so. I feel sorry for our guy. I mean, the happiest group is the Glass family, and the saddest group is the Sherman family. Exactly. Yeah, and all, all the investors, uh, I feel bad for them getting into something like this and paying a billion dollars for a team and not having any baseball. That's, that's not good. Yeah, um, that is really a, a sad part of this because I think he's going to be a great owner. Uh, and, we, you know, we haven't had uh, a local guy since Mr. K. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And I think, you know, in a year or two, maybe we'll forget a lot of this. But, uh, and I hope he has a successful run. And I hope he, um, you know, has a, has a, has a good team. Cause I look at the, I was watching some highlights of the uh, 85 World Series and, and even the 2014 and 15. And it's so cool to see the stands packed with blue. I mean, mm. it's just cool. Oh, and, yeah. You know, nobody better than you knows that, but uh, we'll figure it out, and and uh, there will be hopefully baseball for people to watch. What um, besides golf? Uh, when they do get this thing cranking, what do you foresee as 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 your role? Well, that's another sticky situation because uh, there's talk that the minor leagues might not start, might not have. Baseball, as we know it, in these small towns all across America, there's talk about having the upper echelon players from our two A-ball clubs, AA and AAA, perhaps go to Arizona and play complex baseball against other teams in Arizona and in Florida as well. Wow. So I don't know what my job will be. I usually travel around to all of our seven minor league clubs and watch the game. So apparently I would – probably go to Arizona and watch some games out there to evaluate our guys a little bit, but I, I just don't know at this time what's going to happen. Yeah, That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. I know the major leagues trying to, you know, that, that agreement's up for negotiation and they've been trying to eliminate or talk about eliminating 40% of the minor league teams. Yeah. 42 teams, uh, which would eliminate, uh, the short season rookie ball teams, which we have one in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and one in Burlington, North Carolina. So we'd lose two teams. And talking about the Lexington Ball Club, which is our low A team, possibly um, shutting that down and moving somewhere else to where they can organize the teams more by location and have them closer together because Lexington is kind of a long way from a lot of their teams. They have some long travel. So we, possibly could lose them, which I, I hate because I love going to Lexington. It's a great ballpark and a, and a great town to watch baseball. And they treat our players very, very well there. So we'll see what happens. Um, 
we have seven teams in the minor leagues, not counting the Dominican team, which would be eight, actually. I think the Dominican program will thrive. All 30 teams have clubs over in the Dominican and complexes where kids start from the Dominican, and sometimes uh, they send some kids there from Venezuela. So that, that'll still be on, I'm sure. But um, we'll, a lot of teams have six over here in the States. We have seven, so we would lose – a little bit more. I think what they're talking about is if they do do that, we'd have two double A teams, or excuse, excuse me, two single A teams, double A, triple A, and then complex baseball rookie league in surprise. So we'd go from seven to, to five. Yeah, you'd have to get your car tuned up and ready to go. I don't think jumping on an airplane sounds like a really good deal right now. Doesn't thrill me, you know. <laughs> that is- I, might, I might be driving long distance. We'll see. Yeah, I know that that's that is the uh, that is the hope. So yeah, I mean, I hope that all the minor leagues stay intact. If if not this year, next year. I I didn't like the uh, the proposal of Major League Baseball to do away with it. You know, that's a big deal for the towns in the summertime. It was a big deal in Omaha. We didn't draw that many people. We never drew what Gorman announced. I got to tell you, I'm not I'm not pleading guilty to fraud, but it seemed like you know I'd be there and he go. And the Knights of Ten is five thousand eight hundred. Go, Bill. Where the hell is everybody? Uh, yeah. Which Although I, that ballpark, that ballpark Rosenblatt was a little deceiving because at the end for the College World Series it held about twenty five, twenty seven thousand. So when you did have five thousand, they were spread out all over the ballpark. That's one reason the Kansas City Royals decided to build their own ballpark. Initially, trying to get together with the College World Series and have one ballpark. It didn't work out because they they still wanted to go with the twenty five or thirty thousand, which would have been the same as Rosenblatt. So we built our own ballpark out in Papillion. So I think the the biggest thing about minor league baseball is attendance. Attendance is what uh, makes money for the individual owners, and it, it would be really sad to cut out forty two teams because on one hand ownership is trying to promote baseball with kids. And on the other hand, and that's a big part of it, having idols growing up in these small towns, watching these kids go from rookie league to A ball to double A, triple A, and big leagues and follow them along the way. Having these kids come out to the ballpark with their dads to learn the game of baseball. And now on the other hand, you're saying, okay, we, we want to do that, but we're going to eliminate 42 teams in 42 towns. So it's kind of uh, conflicting. It is. Hey, you reminded me. I've I've been to the uh, College World Series Park. I have not been to is it Warner Field or Warner Stadium or whatever Warner something. Warner Park. Warner Park. Have you seen the film that uh, they put out starring Jamie Uretsky called Fifty Seasons or Fifty Summers rather? No. (laughs) (laughs) It really didn't star me, but they. I'm trying to get a a DVD of it and. uh, they did send me the the feed, but they had it limited to who I could send it to, and I'm not sure I can find it. But let me summarize: Fifty Summers is the 50 years uh, of minor league baseball in Omaha, and it really celebrated uh, before the Royals got there, but then after the Royals got there, and they they kind of did a little part for each owner. So you had you know they had Warren Buffett, and then they had uh, had uh, uh, me from Gus's era and they went through the Union Pacific deal, and it's really, it's really, it was well done. And and uh, anyway, I'll oh, see. I'd like to see. Happy. 
Yeah, do they have that online anywhere? Do they have a link that you can watch it online or just a DVD? Um, I don't even know if they have a DVD. It was my son. I was out of town, but my son, Brad, uh, called me and said it was at the, the, they were showing it at the Kansas City Film Festival, which I didn't know Kansas City had a film festival. And so last year it was on for, a you know, I think one showing. But you'd love it. I'll try to find it. Um, that's, it's, you know, there aren't that many people that probably would love it. You, you would find it interesting. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Rosenblatt started about 1950, Rosenblatt Stadium, and they had uh, Bob Gibson played there, I believe, at one point. And I think with the Cleveland Indians there before the Royals came in 69. I think they were there, and I'm not sure if the Cardinals didn't have a farm team there for a while. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think they did. Uh, I think it, it kind of uh, vacillated until they, they – uh, solidified the relationship with um, probably Mr. Kaufman in that era with the, with the Royals and uh, uh, Jack McKeon and uh, that, that era, Trader Jack. It's, it, you'd yeah. like it. I'll, I'll find it. I will find it. While, I, think, uh, I think Omaha now is one of the longest consecutive running organizations to have one club in the same spot since 1969. I think another one that's up there is the Reading Phillies, who started uh, in 67, maybe, the double-A franchise for the Phillies. And I think them and, and us, Kansas City Royals, I think are the two longest in, in one particular town. It's been a great run. And, I, and Omaha was a, a, a great city for us. We, we certainly enjoyed being there, even though nobody in the family – had much to do with Omaha at the time, and we ended up representing Union Pacific for a long time, so it uh, benefited the firm too. But what great yeah. people, and uh, um, they had a great fan base. They had a great, you know, mostly because of Bill Gorman at that time. Um, yeah, I was a player in 72 for a while, and then in 70, all of 75 and part of 76, and then of course they came back to manage in 87, so I really got to love Omaha. Great people, as you say, and a great town. Yeah, it really was. And there were a bunch of your teammates that, that uh, came came through there. Uh, it, not not the Bo Jackson or the uh, Gooby or Sabes, but the rest of the crew seemed to spend some time up in Omaha, which uh, was fun for fun for anybody who watched minor league baseball. Speaking of uh, Nebraska, uh, did you see that Alex Gordon is very disappointed if there's no baseball this year? Is was, which was going to be his last year. Now he's talking, I might want to play two or three more years. <laughs> you know, isn't that funny how it, it, it affects the, you know, like the Kuholzes, the Gordons? Um, it, it does give them a, a little bit of, of a break from the rigors that they're so used to every year, I guess. How, uh, how, would, how would you think that would affect you? You know, you do something every year for – a long time and then you spend six months at home and all of a sudden it's like okay let's go back to the way it was it's interesting yeah you the old saying you know until something's taken from you you don't miss it yeah uh, definitely the case with me and with probably most of the ball players how much they're missing it and it, it there is one positive out of all this and alex mentioned it uh the opportunity to be with your family during the season and not away all the time. That's really rough. And people don't understand the baseball life unless you've lived it, how hard it is to be away from your family all summer. I was very fortunate because I was 
close when I managed in Omaha and in Kansas City for, I guess, 15, 16 years playing, coaching, managing. So I was home a lot living in Kansas City. There's so many players that don't live in the town they play in and coaches and managers as well sometimes. And to be away from your family for months at a time, it's really rough. Everybody thinks it's a glamorous life. And to a certain extent, it is a glamorous life, but not so much for the wife who's raising the kids while you're gone. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, those of us who retired, and everybody retires, some in Little League, some in Pony League, some after a year or two at college, we all uh, would give anything to play, coach, broadcast uh, baseball. But I mean, it to a to a degree, it's a it's more of a gypsy life than people realize. Yeah, it's it's you know, especially in the minor leagues, it's it's tough in the minor leagues. Although those are some of the best memories I had in the minor leagues, the guys I played with in the minor leagues, and we were all there together for the common goal of getting to the big leagues. And um, families in the minor leagues, wives, kids, for those who had kids at that time when they were younger. Um, you really share a common ground and, and bond in the minor leagues, more so than the big leagues. In the big leagues, you're a little older and your kids are a little older. You tend to be more involved with your family than the other families on your ball club. So and, it's, it's a lot different. You know, in the minor leagues, you're obviously taking buses. You're, you know, the, the team eats together a lot more on the road uh, than maybe mm -hmm. they, they do in the major leagues. But um with social media and cell phones, do you notice, and you have an opportunity to be in a lot of clubhouses, is it, does it seem different to you than when you played through the minors and the majors in terms of the camaraderie? Um, a little bit, a little bit more so at the big league level, I think. Uh, although, we, you know, our clubs back in the day were really tight. We would go out and eat a lot together and have a beer after the game together. And, uh, Shoot, we'd have barbecues at our house once in a while after games because we didn't have a lot of food in the clubhouse like they do today with the chefs and everything. So we would get together after having a couple of beers in the clubhouse and, and come have a barbecue at midnight at my house sometimes. A bunch of the guys would come over. And I don't think that happens anymore. Yeah, it is different because a lot of the players are on their cell phones and on social media all the time in the clubhouse. Although we have a, we have a rule, most of our teams uh, – Depending on the manager, uh, an hour before the game, no more cell phones. And uh, we've actually had issues with that sometimes and had to take them away from guys because they, they couldn't stay off of it <laughs> to get ready for a ball game. So uh, it is completely different. You're right. And the, salary, the salaries obviously are, are different too. And, and that, I think, uh, you know, it, it's got to make a big difference no matter what your profession. If you, you know, you start out making – $15,000 a year and then uh, you, you experience guys making $2 million a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now the average salary, four point whatever, a million. Uh, that's kind of people. A lot of people, Jamie, don't realize in the minor leagues that they think because you're a professional ball player at any level that you're rolling in dough. Well, a lot of those minor league kids don't make a heck of a lot more than, especially the ones just starting out, heck of a lot more than what I made when I started out, which was $500 a month for a five-month season, uh, $2,500, and then you had to work in the off-season. Even in the, in the big leagues back then, a lot of guys worked in the off-season, where today it's, it's changed, where they don't have to, obviously. And I don't begrudge any of the players for what they make today. They're, uh, they're entertainers, and if the owners are willing to pay whatever they want to pay, then 
you know, I've said it a hundred times, if not a thousand to people who complain about salary today. I said, you know, if you work at a hardware store and somebody across the street opens up a new hardware store and says, I want to give you twice as much money to do the same job, you're going to do it. And that's pretty much what's happened in baseball. Yeah, I think there's no way to begrudge these guys. I mean, uh, you look at what Ted Williams or Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle made and you go, man, it's too bad. And I'm sure they've said it. And and I know uh, Nellie would say it occasionally that, boy, I just play, I was born too early. And, you know, guy hits 280, he's going to sign a two or three or $4 million contract now. Uh, whereas back then, you know, the minimum went from six to seven to eight. So uh, it's still the same game. It's just, uh, you know, a different, um, I think, psychology. And, and of course, everybody's going to react differently. A guy that, you know, got a, a five-year contract, some guys are going to bust their ass just like they always did. And other guys probably don't. I, I don't know, never having, you know, played professionally, but it's so psychological. It's just a great game for a lot of different reasons. Who was the craziest guy that you were a teammate with? Probably uh, Al, Al Arbosky, the mad Hungarian. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had an image to uphold. So he, uh, he was crazy, not just on the field sometimes, but off the field as well. But, you know, getting back to the money thing, I don't think anybody can take away the fun we had. You know, I was fortunate enough to be in Kansas City as a player from 76 to 85. We were a postseason play seven of those 10 years. Right. You can't take that away from me. I mean, that was so much fun to expect to be in the playoffs every single year and perhaps World Series every single year. And, you know, the money was okay. It was, it was good, uh, very good for the times. Um, it's nobody would ever have guessed back then that the salaries would be what they are today, but we were making good money for the time. And so I, you know, I don't begrudge any of the players today, you know, for what they make. Um, I think they still have fun, but I kind of doubt sometimes if they had the fun that we did back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the, the guys like a Busby or an Otis or a Rojas split or Gura, Brett, Gubaza, you know, Montgomery, the, the, the spanning the time from 1980 through 2000 and whenever, um, you know, some great teams, some doggy teams, but by and large, uh, from a fan standpoint, all uh, mostly good guys on the Royals that, that as a fan, I, you know, didn't have a lot of personal knowledge with a lot of those guys, but um, there uh, seemed to me that there weren't too many bad apples that, that were in no, the dugout. No. And, and, you know, we stayed together for years. You know, the, the free agency happened and uh, the onset of my career, mid-70s. But a lot of guys didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay because we were winning all the time. And as a utility guy and a guy who didn't always play on a daily basis, it was good for me to be on that team because they didn't want to make a lot of changes because we were winning every year. So it really helped me to play 10 years in Kansas City because of, of the success we had. So you played for Jim Fry. You played for Dick Hauser. Um, who else would have been in that managerial role? Well, Whitey Herzog, my first year, he's the guy that I always credit for getting me to the big leagues who believed in me because a lot of people said 
I would never play in the big leagues. I didn't really have a, a stellar minor league career until I got to Omaha. It, it was a little bit easier for me in Omaha. It was in double-A Jacksonville. I think right. I told you last podcast I hit about 260 two years in a row in double-A, and then I got to Omaha and hit 300 and kind of put my name on the map. And, and Whitey liked what I did to spring training and said that, they were trying to trade a catcher, which ended up being Fran Healy and got me to the big leagues. Yeah. Uh, Healy was Larry Gura, who became a Hall of Famer with the Kansas City Royals when he came over to Kansas City and the Yankee killer. Yankee killer. Slider. Yeah. Slider, indeed. I mean, what great, really good guys. that, um, And I've had the privilege to, to meet Gura. I love Herzog, and I love Hauser more. I mean, Dick was – a really good guy. Whitey's a really super, super guy. And you had the privilege of playing for really, I think, two of the best managers ever. And uh, and I'm a pretty opinionated dude when it comes to Royals managers, which yeah. I won't share some of my opinions on some of the guys. But what do you think of Matheny? I love him. I love the guy. I've got to know him all last year. I saw him quite a bit last year when he was roaming around seeing our system. And then I got to spend more time with him this spring. And a lot of times it would be in the, in the workout facility we have in Surprise. Uh, he'd be on the treadmill every day and I'd be on the treadmill or the, or the elliptical and, and working out before our meetings in the morning and got to talk to him quite a bit. Um, great guy, cares about baseball, cares about his family, good family man, cares about his players uh, so much. and. This is this is really tough for him right now too, getting a new job and having to go through this the very first year. But I think he's going to be a, a great asset for our organization. I did, you know what? Just for, again, uh, my observation is it was a great hire by by Dayton Moore to uh, to get Matheny in the role that he came over in. It was no surprise that he was going to be the manager and waiting unless something got screwed up. And mm -hmm. uh, in addition to him looking like he could still play Major League Baseball. He comes across like a like a guy who's calm, in control, and um, a player's kind of guy. So I don't, you know, every manager gets fired. So I have no idea what what ended his run in St. Louis. But uh, I'm looking forward to a, a, a number of years as uh, with Matheny managing the team, and I hope it works out for him. Yeah, I think it will. I think uh, we're going to grow with him. And our minor leagues right now, as everybody knows, has some tremendous pitching in the minor leagues. And that's, that's the name of the game is pitching. If you have pitching, as we saw in, in 2014 and 15, especially in the bullpen, um, you're going to have a good club. You don't have to score as many runs as you think when you have a, a good pitching staff. And so that's what we're gearing up for with some of these younger guys that we signed a couple years ago. And that's, that's another thing to talk about is – how sad it's going to be this year if there's no minor league baseball to help these guys develop to get to the big leagues. From what I understand now, they're going to go with a roster possibly of 30 instead of 26. This was the first year they were going to 26. Now it's going to be 30. Right. Talking about taxi squad that can work out with the club and, and be used to manipulate the roster on occasion of 10 or 15 more guys. So that would be some of those guys I'm talking about. Uh, the pitchers and the minor leagues and the, obviously some position players as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if there is no minor league season with the roster and with this so-called taxi squad like football. How tough is it for a pitcher to make a jump, say, from uh, 
uh, a ball to the major leagues? Uh, that'd be very difficult. And so, you know, if, if they don't get an opportunity to compete this year, it's going to be very difficult to lose that year. Uh, fortunately, those guys are, are fairly young and be able to rebound, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. And, I mean, they'll be fine. It's just uh, a shame that they, they usually uh, lose a year of development, you know, at, at a critical time in their careers. But, you know, I think double A is, is the toughest league for me. Uh, if you can compete in double A and do well, I think you've got a good shot at playing in the big league. So, you know, we saw Saberhagen come up quickly from double A and, and Ubazaw, and, you know, which, which you remember. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they skipped Omaha, obviously. And I think Quisenberry might have been in Omaha part a little bit of the time. You would know, remember better than I. Maybe he came from Double A as well. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I don't think Quiz was was around very much. He, what a funny guy. He, um, he was one of those guys that got that lifetime contract when Fogelman came in, and yeah, our firm used to put on uh, seminars, and how and Hauser had, had been at one, and Quisenberry was at one, and Splitorf, but I. I, was, I always ended up talking, sitting at the table, having a meal with him, and then talking to him or introducing him. And, you know, Quisenberry was one of the – I mean, he just had this unbelievable wit. And after mm -hmm. about 10 minutes, you know, we were talking about it, and he goes, you know, I, I know, Jamie, you've represented some guys, and I'll tell you what, you can represent me on my second lifetime contract. And I go, <laughs> that's great, Chris. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. What a, what a good guy. Um, well, a lot of people don't remember too that he was a poet. He 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 published some some poems and was was very literate. And uh, you know the thing about Dan too, such a good person, good family man, and would never hide from the press. On those rare occasions when he was going really really good, if he did have a bad game, he still talked to the press. He he never hid from them, and he'd have some pretty good quips from time to time. I remember one time Red, Reggie Jackson hit a line drive. Took about one second to go off his bat and into the grass in center field over the wall in Kauffman Stadium. And they asked him about the, 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 the hit, the home run, and he said, he hit that ball so hard, I thought it was going to burrow its way to St. Louis after it hit the grass in center field. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. He, uh, yeah. What is, you know, not that many submariners making the major leagues. I, you know, Ted Abernathy and then who else besides Quiz? Kent DeColvey was one, but yeah. not, not very many. Not very many at all. Gene Garber uh, started out over the top. He played for the Royals briefly, and he became a, a sidearm or submariner, but not a whole lot. Um, you know, oh. I, when, I, when I first saw Quiz, I was in the bullpen when he came up to Kansas City, and one night, the very first night, I think, and I he was thrown a side session either before the game or early in the game. He hadn't thrown in a couple of days. And I'm thinking to myself, how is this guy going to get anybody out? But he had the, the great sink, the great deception. After he let the ball go, he took a little crow hop, which the ball would actually look like it was coming out of his chest because of that crow hop with the white uniform or even the gray uniform, he would lose it just a little bit. And so the deception was there. He sunk the ball very, very well, obviously getting a lot of ground balls. Um, he had the uncanny knack whenever he got a ground ball of having it hit <laughs> at either the shortstop or the second baseman for a double play. More double plays to get out of jams than anybody I can remember. And you'll remember, Jamie, that back then, 
you know, you did training saves sometimes. You'd come in the seventh inning and finish the ball game like Goose Gossage and Dan Quisenberry. So it wasn't just getting three outs in the ninth. Those guys were really something that coming in often earlier in the game than they do today. Well, and they were ready to do that too. And then they, it seemed to me like they cherished that that role, that they weren't coming in just to get a couple guys out, that they were they were going to pitch a legitimate part of the ball game. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And Dan, Dan was fun. would uh, come to the bullpen early in the game. A lot of the relievers now come down about the fifth inning, the guys that know they won't be in the game until the later innings. Well, he'd always come. We all did. Early in the game, we'd all go to the bullpen, you know, before the game started and be out there. And Dan knew he wouldn't be in until at least the seventh inning, so he wanted to keep occupied. So he would do uh, either crossword puzzles or the jumble out of the newspaper out there. And I, I will admit I did it with him along the way. <laughs> We're supposed to be watching the game very, very closely, obviously. And, and we would have fun doing the jumble and the crossword puzzles the first couple of innings because I knew I wouldn't be in the game until later if, possible, if, if I would be in at all. So we did that a lot and had a lot of fun. And then, of course, we had Marty Patton in the bullpen, too, who was our cook. Back then, as I said before, we didn't get fed a lot in the clubhouse. So a lot of times under the uh, groundskeeper's room back there, under the right field GA seats where the groundskeepers hung out, uh, we would have a barbecue going and, and you'd see smoke coming out of there once in a while during the ball game, I'm sure. But I thought the whole place was on fire. But Marty would have his chef apron on it and cook some hot dogs or hamburgers for us during the game. <laughs> we'd eat out there during the game. I was going to ask, what's, uh, what's the best thing he uh, served up for, uh, for a meal in the bullpen? Probably brats. Yeah, we always had to check the guy going in if he came in late in the game to make sure he didn't have mustard on his face. You know, it's a dead giveaway. Oh, uh, that is great. And the, we, used the order some, we used to order some pizzas once in a while down there. We had pizzas delivered once in a while down there during the game, too. Oh, man. Was Tommy the clubhouse guy back then? I can't remember. Uh, no, we had Al Zeke when I came to the big league. Oh, okay. And Tommy yeah. may have been the visitor's guy. Um, yeah, Tommy was on. Tommy Clune was on the visitor side. And, what and, a good uh, guy! God, he was a nice man. Yeah, so we we had a lot of fun. A lot of people wouldn't remember this, but you know now there's so many coaches at the big league level. Seven they can have in uniform. We started out '76 through about '80 with just four coaches and the manager. So we didn't have a bullpen coach. So uh, people are probably wondering how we got away with all that stuff. But we didn't have a coach out there. It was just us. Patrolling ourselves, policing ourselves. How tough was Quisenberry to catch? Uh, not that hard. Um, you know, sinker slider basically came up with a changeup later on and tried a knuckleball. Right. Uh, it, it didn't work out that well for him. It's fine. We had, a, we had, a, I think I might, I might have mentioned this last time to you. I can't remember. You know, at 70, you forget who you told something to. But uh, he, we went to Japan after the season of 1981, and the ball was a little different over there. And he was throwing a knuckleball, just experimenting with it in Japan, and it was great, really, really good. Well, we came back to the states with our baseball, and it just didn't do the same thing. So he kind of canned that one. That's out of all the the guys you caught, who was when when you were in the lineup and they were pitching, who was the guy you liked to you were happy to be catching for? <clears throat> Well, a bunch of them, really. It's hard to narrow it down to one. Larry Gurra and I had a, a good rapport. Paul Spur for myself, uh, Dennis Leonard, uh, Saberhag, and all those guys were, were fun to catch because you know they were going to throw strikes and be around the strike zone. Now the big thing is velocity with all the young pitchers today. And 
a lot of them don't have command of the strike zone like guys did back then. You know, guys were throwing 89 to 92 a lot, but they knew where it was going. Where guys throwing 95 plus sometimes today, if they don't know where it's going, it's hittable even at 95, 97. But these guys have a lot more control back in the day, I think. And that's one of the biggest differences, I think, in pitching today, uh, all the walks. Although I, I must admit the strike zone is completely different today than when I played too. You know, it's like a postage stamp now. Guys back in the day, you know, you'd, you'd get some strikes called off the plate or a little bit lower, a little bit high. And uh, now with replay and, you know, all the video they have today, it's hard for an umpire to call a ball off the plate. And it made for a better game, I think, because guys knew umpires who had big strike zones and who had small strike zones, and you knew that you better swing the bat if it was close to the plate. Well, now guys can take pitches that are just off the plate or just on the plate and call balls where it sped up the game back then. That's the biggest thing I, I see today and, and everybody talking about how slow the games are. I, I think it's still a strike zone because uh, there, was, <laughs> there was some umpires too that would say, you know, I hate this guy. Just get it close and I'll ring him up. <laughs> and so we'd, we'd know that going in and, and – you know, the ball could be four or five inches off the plate and he might get rung up on a pitch that was Well, I would rather see that. And now you've seen all the Joe Torre committees, Tony La Russa committees, these guys that study the game on how we can improve the speed of the game and they figure out if we do this, we can knock three minutes off. The, it, it, it cannot be rocket science to know that if the umpires would expand the strike zone, players would expand what they're swinging at and the game would move way faster. Absolutely. A lot less walks and, and uh, totally enjoyable game to me. Now, how is it that you and I can figure that out in a New York second <laughs> and, and Manfred and Selig and all these guys that studied it leads me to the belief that they really don't want the game to be two and a half hours anymore. They want the... Maybe there's more Maybe there's more ex-pitchers on the Players Association and Major League Baseball that, <laughs> that don't want it to be called like that. They want, you know, they want... Just broad, you know, give us a fist on each side of the plate. Look at Yogi Berra, guy's best bad ball hitter. Look at if you had a pitch clock that made a big, like a, when the 24-second clock goes off for the 30-second, I mean, it makes a big buzz, big noise. If that was ringing through a major league stadium, I guarantee the pitchers would would not want to hear that very often, and they'd speed up their deliveries. You're yeah. right. It's, You're right. Uh, you know, when well, you can – I think I mentioned this to you last time. When you can uh, watch a playoff baseball game on one TV and NFL Sunday on the other TV, you're going to see a game and a half of the NFL before the major league playoff game is over with. And uh, it seems to me the more boring it goes, the bigger the, the uh, contract is with, with Fox. And it's just crazy. Yeah. I think the one thing, though, um, you know, tickets aren't cheap nowadays compared to when I played. Uh, they're fairly expensive. And, and concessions are, you know, pretty expensive, obviously, too. I, I think the one thing I would say – is when we used to play games in two hours and 20 minutes, and now they're three hours or more, um, you are getting your money's worth more by the length of the game. So I, I will say that on, on behalf of Major League Baseball, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe they shouldn't be trying to 
slow everything down as much because a lot of people enjoy spending their money at the ballpark and want three hours instead of two fifteen or two twenty. Yeah. So well, there are some maybe, people, maybe they should improve the concessions. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, you go to like San Diego and man, they have, I mean, and I think that's the trend everywhere, including uh, uh, the Royals where they're coming up with, um, you know, all this, you know, gourmet 15,000 calorie nachos that you can get for $25. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to me, give me a good cold beer and a hot dog and I'm, I'm pretty happy. So yeah. hey, let's, can we talk yeah. about Frank White for two seconds? Sure. Um, how was, how, I know that Frank came up in Nellie's twilight and Nellie kind of helped groom Frank while Cookie was leaving and Frank was coming and Nellie was kind of around. Um, every time I've met him, he's a jam up guy. And I'm, I'm assuming that you think the same thing. Yeah, Frank was obviously a, a Hall of Fame player, and, and there's a lot of people that think he should be in the National Hall of Fame, not just the Royals Hall of Fame. I, I mean, what a, what a great player who who made himself uh, from a deep, he turned himself into a, a great offensive player from being just a defensive player early in his career. I don't think anybody could have dreamed that he would put up the offensive numbers he did, actually batting cleanup, I think, in the World Series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as steady as you can get you know his nickname was smooth for a reason and one of the best players to ever put a, a royals uniform on yeah he seemed to develop more power as he got older more confident obviously he could feel spectacularly and i agree with you he uh he may not be nelly fox but i mean he's he is bill mazeroski without the, the dramatic home run in 1960 but from from a fan standpoint let me say number one i hope that uh, the Sherman regime takes Frank back in. And I, I have no idea from a, from a, from my perspective, it looks like there's been a rift between Frank and the Royals and I don't really care. And I'm sure you don't who instigated it or started it, but I, I just hope that like the Blackhawks did with their stars that, um, and, and maybe it always happened, but from a fan's perspective, it still seems like, there's some animosity and I, I hope that goes away. Am I out in left field? No, no, there is animosity on both sides, obviously still. And with the new ownership that could change down, down the road. Uh, hopefully it does. Cause it's a shame, uh, you know, to have his number out there on the hall of fame building and, and not have him a part of uh, all the alumni functions that we do and fantasy camp and things like that. But I agree. And, and of course, there's, sure there's blame on both sides, you know, yeah. that's what it, well, I'm still going to um, <coughs> take you up on your bench coach offer at Fantasy Camp. I got that scheduled in. I'm sure that there'll be a there'll be a vaccine by next uh, Fantasy Camp, and uh, I'll be in surprise sitting next to you trying to uh, figure out how some of these guys can hit better. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. I think you'll enjoy it. The uh, we told you the last time we'd go into how you got your nickname. So let's go into how you got the, your nickname Duke. And uh... Uh, most people know in baseball, there's a lot of people who have nicknames. Um, there's been so many through the years, probably more so in years past than there is today. Uh, back in the you know 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, everybody seemed to have a nickname. My first club with the Royals was in San Jose, California, in the California League, and we had about four or five Johns on the club. 
So we started thinking about nicknames because, you know, John, everybody turned around. So I told everybody I was a big John Wayne fan. I'd seen all his movies. Uh, I was born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where John Wayne was from Iowa and moved to Southern California when he was very young, just like I did. Same initials, JWJW. And, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just stuck. Duke just stuck back in San Jose and it became my, my nickname, Double A, Triple A, and Omaha, and stayed with me all these years. So, you know, in fact, my wife, uh, calls me duke once in a while too at home which is kind of strange but um, well the rumor is you can have you have a pretty good imitation of uh, of the duke i did have but you know i'm you can't do it without the walk so we can't do the walk the walk is better than the impression i think but so that's yeah it was actually better when i had a couple of beers i don't know if it was actually better i thought it was better hey, tell me who did you hang out with mostly when you were you know playing in the major leagues, um, besides George, uh, Marty Patton, Dennis Leonard, Splitorf, Jamie Quirk, um, for the most part, those guys, I would say, uh, Dan Quisenberry. Um, you know, like I said, we, we were, it was nothing for us to go out after a ball game and have a couple of beers back at the hotel or wherever and have, you know, 10, 15 guys there telling war stories or sitting around the clubhouse having a couple of beers, which guys don't do anymore because of the, the problems with drinking and driving, which is completely understandable and correct. Um, so now most of the time guys, uh, you know, going to another city, uh, I think they might have some beers on the airplane because they're all taking the bus to the hotel and that, but right. coming home, they don't have any any liquor at all on the airplanes coming home because they got to get the cars and drive home. You know, after ball games, as far as driving at home, uh, they don't want them to be involved in anything. There's been a couple of players that have passed away, unfortunately, because of drinking and driving in the clubhouse after a ball game. So that's a thing of the past, obviously. But it it was fun because we'd talk about the game for an hour or so, or sometimes longer than that after the games, and go over everything and and talk more baseball than I think they do today. Now they get out of the clubhouse pretty quick and, and go home and go back to the hotel pretty quick. So that part of it I think is missed as far as talking about the game and having fun and telling stories. So that's the big part about fantasy camp that I got to put a plug in for my daughter. Our daughter my daughter, Dina Blevins, runs our fantasy camp. And, and that's what we do a lot of the time. And it's some of the most fun that the guys have that week that we're there is hearing our stories embellished as they are through the years they're pretty funny and they really enjoy hearing all those stories having a couple of beers after the games in, in fantasy camp that is the cool part of fantasy camp and that's cool that your daughter's involved with the royals as the alumni director as i understand it and yeah fantasy yeah. camp guru and and uh uh your sons both we talked before about their careers in uh in baseball and now Dusty's waiting to get the season started with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies and uh, uh, I'm sure he's got some inside track with Giardi on what they plan to do when the thing gets going. Yeah he's he's looking forward to it although it's it's he's been in baseball for uh, let's see how many years now 27 years I believe. Wow. In pro ball and, and he played 15 in the minor leagues and managed 10 and coached the big leagues the last couple of years. So this is a completely different feeling for all these guys that have never been home this time of year. So 
I think as much as they're missing baseball, they are enjoying the time home with their family. Yeah, that's absolutely. the one positive of this whole thing is the family bonding is probably a little bit better now. Although, <laughs> you look at it on the opposite side of the coin, there's probably a lot of problems at home too, from <laughs> husband being home too much and, and probably some issues with that. Uh, Ready for a training. So like they come out with all these statistics all the time about divorces and and family problems at home. It'd be interesting to see if divorces spike with, with all this uh, home in place, you know, that we've had for all these weeks now. Yeah. Well, the lighter side of baseball shies away from talk of domestic problems. So yeah, that's good. I shouldn't have gone that way. No, no, no. That's all right. You, uh, uh, I won't get into any of that. Two more guys before we get off. I want to talk about uh, one is George Toma. What a great guy he was. And I'm sure since you were out in the bullpen and near the groundskeepers area, you had a pretty doggone good relationship with Mr. Toma. Well, so good that uh, when George had his son, Ryan, uh, I became his godfather. Um, so it's, it's been a, a special bond between George and I. And uh, through the years, uh, what a great guy. He's he taught me so much about how to care for a lawn that I feel like I could be a groundskeeper too. That might be one of the only jobs I haven't had in baseball, that and selling hot dogs, I told you before. Yeah. Uh, I'd always ask him and, and uh, about different things, and he'd tell me, you know, when to fertilize, when to do this, when to do that. And I always asked him, I said, George, you must have one of the best lawns in town. He said, I don't touch my lawn. It looks terrible. <laughs> It's just probably like like a, a wife trying to get a plumber to fix a pipe at home, you know, same type of deal. Uh, uh, he, is there anybody with the Royals that the, that has been with the Royals through the, the George Tomey years that doesn't love the guy? I mean, yeah, just a great, great humanitarian. And I'm, you know, there's another guy I, I'd like to see more on a pedestal. And, uh, you know, if they add anything to the little Hall of Fame grouping, it ought to be the name Toma, in my opinion. But well, I th he is in the Hall of Fame now, I believe. I, but I mean, are the re can you retire as rake? <laughs> yeah, they're good. <laughs> Five, ten, and twenty in a rake. <laughs> exactly. Uh, are there going to be any more numbers? And I hope your uh, your answer is no. Uh, on the back, you know, with the with Hauser and 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 White and Brett. And Jackie, I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I would think there will be down the road. Uh, I think the Royals have been a little more selective at who they picked than other clubs. I think other clubs have a lot more, especially right. the ones that have been around a long time, like the Yankees. They have so many retired numbers; it's hard to get a number under ninety anymore. True, uh, like but that. how many numbers? Yeah, special, special club. It's got to be a special club. But I, I'm sure there'll be a few. Alex Gordon comes to mind. Uh, yeah. Perhaps uh, Ned Yost, you know, taking us to the two World Series in 14 and 15. Um, I hear that rumor. I'm, I'm big on Alex Gordon. Yeah, yes. This would be his 15th or 16th year with us if we ever get started, I believe. And, and uh, you know, he, his numbers uh, offensively um, don't rank with the greatest in Royals history, but the defensive runs that he's saved through the years with his exactly. arm and catches – are huge. A lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that will drive in two runs in a game, but let in three because of their defense. Right. <laughs> and Alex was able to contribute on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively for many years. Speaking of bye-bye Balboni, there was a good guy. Although 
He was a pretty good fielder, wasn't he? He wasn't bad. Everybody thought he was uh, just a big oaf at first base and a, a strong guy who hit home runs, but he was uh, above average to me, especially picking balls out of the dirt. I don't think he had a huge range, but with Frank at second base, you didn't need a, a lot of range. I remember uh, wow. thinking a lot of balls hit to my right when I did play first base on occasion um, that I needed to go after, and then I remembered Frank was over there, so I'd get my butt to the bag and take the throw from him. That, that's a great mindset to hear, you know, that, that those thoughts actually would go through a, a major league uh, player's mind, and it's logical. Especially yeah. a guy like Frank or Cookie or somebody like that. But, um, yeah, you know, Balboni, man, did he have a quick bat, like from, you know, like a two-foot-long uh, range of his swing was, like, unbelievable from just watching him hit. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Such a strong human being. I mean, he was he was very powerful, powerfully yeah. built, and uh, you know what a great guy. He was very quiet for a big guy, uh, which just happens a lot. Big guys are guys that don't have to pop off too much or say a whole lot. Yeah, big silent type, and and he was very quiet and uh, just a very good person and good family man. Um, we still keep in contact a little bit at Christmas time. He's sent out Christmas cards and stuff, but. Yeah, great person, great great guy, and a, and a great part of our success. Absolutely, and a guy with a nickname that, you know, if you say bye-bye, a Royals fan's going to realize it's Balboni. say Duke, a Royals fan's going to realize it's you. If you say Odie, it's Otis. If you say Ape, it's, you know, Apier. It doesn't seem nowadays that there are too many. You know, if I said, um, you know, Babe Ruth, if you said Babe, there's some guys back then that had this great nickname, uh, recognition, and I think a lot of the Royals did, which is pretty cool back in the time when you played. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of gone by the wayside, the, the nicknames, unfortunately. Hey, did you play with Busby? Was that part of your... Yeah, yeah, I played with him uh, my first year in San Jose. Uh, he had just signed, it might have been my second year in 72, and then I played with him, uh, he got the big leagues real quick in 73, I think, and I didn't get there until 76, so right. I, I him, uh, when he first came out of college, and you knew he was very, very special the first time he, catch, he caught the guy and, and knew he'd have a long career in the big leagues. Unfortunately, he had a bunch of injuries, knee injuries, shoulder injury, injuries, elbow, and, and didn't have the, the long career. But uh, what a great short career he had with the no-hitters and, and you know, everything he did. He was just a, a, not only physically but mentally a presence on the mound and, and knew you were in for a dogfight every time you got to play against him. He was quite a competitor. Yeah, I understand now he's quite a pitching coach in, you know, in, in different areas. Yeah, I heard that. And uh, he's come to fantasy camp a few times and always enjoy catching up with him. And, you know, he was another Blue Springs guy. We all, a bunch of us, when I first got to town, a bunch of us, for the most part, lived in Blue Springs for whatever reason. I guess somebody started out there and then everybody started going that way. And then, uh, people started moving on the Kansas side to Overland Park and Leewood, and there's not too many remaining in Blue Springs now. Dennis Leonard still lives there. Does he uh, really? That's he cool. Might, he might be the only one, though. I moved to Lee Summit 15 years ago to Downsides because we had a, a big place and had a ball field in the backyard that actually George Tomo, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he and his son Chip uh, helped uh, make a ball field for me for my kids growing up in the backyard there. And, we, we decided to sell it when the kids moved on, grew up and left. 
because it went from being a ball field to a place to mow. <laughs> <laughs> so we downsized and moved to Lee Summit about 15 years ago. Oh, that's great. That's funny. Well, as a base stealer and as a fast guy that caught, did, uh, did you ever uh, race Willie? Oh, heck no. <laughs> oh, I'm not very smart, but I wasn't stupid back then either. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody in your life that ran first to third faster than Willie Wilson? Probably not, because he had the ability not only to run fast, but to run the bases well and, and cut the corners very, very well. It was like a, like a racehorse, really, with his long strides. Uh, you know, Bo Jackson, I think we mentioned last time. Right. Uh, he was a different kind of runner, more powerful runner. I say Willie was more graceful with his speed than, than Bo was, uh, although they were both extremely fast. So. Yeah, I'll tell you, what a great career you had and what great guys you got to play with. I mean, you just go through the Royals Hall of Fame guys, that with some of whom we've talked about, and then some of the, the managers. I mean, you I know you um, – don't kid yourself about how fortunate your professional career was back then and still is, but um, yeah. you've played with, with everybody that's anybody or coached them or, or been around them. And that's, uh, that's cool because, you know, at this quote, small market uh, isn't that small. And when the Royals do good, uh, they draw. And I think that, uh, you know, from what you've told me, uh, and from a little bit of what I've read, I think good things are going to happen to the Royals in the future. And I just, uh, uh, you know, hope that, uh, that it happens sooner than later. Yeah. You know, talking, talking about uh, the Hall of Fame, the Royals Hall of Fame, Jamie, I never thought about it. But just about everybody that's in that Hall of Fame, uh, including Art Stewart and George Toma, uh, I've been around a lot or either played with or managed. So, I mean, it's, yeah, the only, the only one I can think of off the top of my head would be Mike Sweeney. I was in the minor leagues uh, coaching when, when he uh, evaluating, doing some scouting and player development. So I was around him a lot, but never coached or managed him. But uh, most of those guys, yeah, I've got very fond memories of all of them and the times we had together. No, I'm sure. I mean, Busby, Otis, Rojas, Split, White, Mayberry, Wilson, Apier, Sabregan, Gubazov, Montgomery. Brett, Slider, Patek, McCray. Yep. I mean, those guys are all your buddies and guys you played with. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been very blessed. This is my 49th year in baseball. And uh, to think I wanted to do this when I was eight years old and to be able to do it this long is uh, just great fortune and uh, a gift from God. I always tell everybody, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up and I have to get a real job because it's <laughs> Like to be in baseball all these years, and uh, even though getting fired a few times, that's part of the game. And always something good happened every time I moved on. When I moved on to the Angels, and moved on to the Red Sox, uh, you know, my family was was there a little bit. And Dusty was actually going to school in Orange County and worked in the clubhouse in Anaheim when when I was out there. And uh, my son Derek uh, was in the Cape Cod League when I was in Boston that summer, so I got to see him some. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been a great life and a, and a great career. I, I just couldn't ask for anything more. No, and, you know, and, and aside from the Hall of Fame guys, the, 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 the tons of really, really great players and, and front office guys. I mean, 
I got to know shareholders probably too well, but Art Stewart was a super good guy. I really liked Dick Balderson was a mm-hmm. was always good to to me and to uh, Omaha. John Bowles is one of my favorite guys in 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 uh, baseball, and on and on and on. You know, Herc for you know when Herc did what Herc was uh, you know probably good at doing on the uh, on the uh, business side. Uh, good guy helped me when we represented. Uh, Kaufman and the Royals and uh no I mean it's a it's always been a um you know through the peaks and the valleys it's been a bunch of good guys and a bunch of good memories for me and um you know I love podcasting with you man it's always fun and there's it's there's never a a shortage of things to talk about never a shortage of uh of fun stories and I um I, I hope uh we we do this again, and uh, maybe when baseball's going again, and follow a little bit about uh, the Phillies now with Dusty, because I like uh, to figure out kids and and their dads and their love of baseball. And you certainly uh, run the gamut with everybody in your family. Well, thank you, Jamie. You do a, a fabulous job with this, and uh, you know I always enjoy talking baseball. People sometimes ask me questions and say you probably get tired of talking about this, and I said. No, I don't. This is part of my life. And I always want to talk about baseball for the rest of my life, you know, however long that may be. So uh, I enjoy these things uh, tremendously and and have fun talking to you. Uh, Hopefully we can do it again soon.